Well, a few years ago, uh, a film came out. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the film, uh, Woman in Gold. Uh, it starred Helen Murren and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, but the, the, the movie captures something that I want to talk about that I think is fitting for us, and that is wilderness. Whatever season of life you're in, maybe this is a good season, maybe this is a difficult season, maybe this feels like a spiritually dry season, maybe it feels like an economically challenged season. The, the fact of the matter is, is that we all go through seasons of life that can feel like a wilderness, a kind of wandering, wondering, what is God saying? What is God doing? How long will this last? How will this need be met? In the movie, Woman in Gold, it's a true story that chronicles the account of a lady by the name of Maria Altman. And she is a Jewish descent growing up in Austria at the beginning of World War II. And there's this beautiful painting by Gustav Klimt, who's this renowned painter. And she, some 60 years after the war, wants to seek restitution. She's been living in a kind of wilderness for what was done to her and her family and her race under the name of ethnic cleansing. But then there was these almost symbolic possessions that the Nazis has claimed had their own. And 60 years later, long after the war had ended, Austria had still laid claims to these things. And this portrait was a portrait of her Aunt Adele. Well, you can imagine what it's like. Now she's living in Los Angeles, California. Well, she finds a young lawyer, but it's not just any young lawyer. His name is Randy Schoenberg. And Randy happens to be not only Jewish, but of Austrian descent. And I would say that Randy's living in a, in a way he didn't know what he didn't know. But she's living in this wilderness, kind of wanting justice. She's wanting to bring closure. She's wanting to right some of the wrongs and in some way bring closure to this chapter of her life, even though it can never make up for it or, 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 or sort of um, or undo what has been done. But this court case gets fought over the better part of a decade, from about late 90s up till kind of almost... Uh, 2008. And the court case goes, uh, you know, it's, it's a, attempting to bring down the Austrian establishment, and it goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where she finally wins this verdict, where she gets to, actually, the movie is just about the one painting, but there was five paintings that she was awarded. What's interesting that comes through is how she is almost defeated. She's ready to just throw in the towel. She's, it's just too painful. And at one point she says, I just can't go back to Austria to see this tried in a court. And, and then he then takes up the banner. He's visited his homeland. He's now identified with his heritage. He's now even maybe picked up some of the offense and he's championing the cause. And he has this confession towards the end where he basically says, I said yes to this for the money. Now I've lost my job because the, the law firm that he was working for had sort of said, this is silly. This is, this is, this is just a fool's gold chase. And, and so, but now it had become in. It's almost like he had come into this sense of meaning and purpose. 
And what I like to illustrate out of that is that we all find ourselves sometimes operating with high level of intentionality and purpose and meaning that we have these moments of significance that seem to feed our soul and align us with God. But then we have a lot of other times in life where it just feels like a vanity of vanities, a chasing after the wind. It seems like, oh, I'm, I'm cranking out all this work. I'm putting in all this hours. What for what? I'm, I'm making all these deposits. I've given up my weekends and I'm trying to build this family, but for what? I'm trying to stay committed in this marriage. I'm trying to do these things, but for what? And so what I like to say is that it's not for naught. Whenever and wherever we find ourselves in the wilderness, understand that it's never for naught. How do I know that? Because I know this. When the Israelites left Egypt and they were wandering through the desert, God was in the desert. God said, will you go to the promised land, the land that I have set apart for you, which, by the way, the land was symbolic of rest. Now, they took the scenic route, but God was in the scenic route. We have records of him providing manna uh, for bread and, and, and uh, you know, providing for them water in the desert. We have a, a pillar of uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was providing. He was guiding and providing and guarding all along the way. But he said, I want you to enter this land, this promised land. And so it's really important for us to understand where God is taking us, but to also understand that it's not just simply about the product or the outcome or the results. It's understanding that whatever season you find yourself in, God is in it. Because it's really easy to say, oh, if I could just get here, if I could just earn this, if I could just accomplish this, if I could just get this done, then, and I'm saying, mm -mm, God's in it here and now. And there requires of us a kind of attentiveness, a kind of responsiveness to stay tuned into God for what I would consider are the divine interruptions. Every single day this week involved an interruption for me, which was sort of the irony of preparing for this message. And I wouldn't call this a wilderness season, but I felt like every day I was being interrupted because it was simply something that was time-consuming that I had not planned for, and yet God was in each of those things because I was willing to find him. I would also confess that there's many times where I feel interrupted and God's not in the interruptions. I fail to identify some redeeming value in them too. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to look uh, at a passage of scripture that I began the night by reading, and it's a call to worship. And it's a call to worship and come to the Lord. And the, the big call is that, oh, today, if you could just hear the voice. So in Psalm 90, 95, I want to spend some time in that, but let me 
start by saying this. There was a, a phrase that I learned when I lived in Alabama. There was an older gentleman. Uh, he uh, had just ha just a lot, a lot of life experience. And he taught me a phrase that a lot of farmers used to use. And he called it laying by. Because laying by meant that just because there wasn't a lot to do on the farm, maybe you're waiting for the harvest to come. You never sat idly by. In other words, when you had time to rest, quote unquote, it didn't mean that it was kick back and do nothing. He said, when, when you'd get to the time where you would just be laying by, it's when they would look at other projects around the farm and take on other things too. Maybe it was there was a new well to drill. Or if there was not a new well to do, they may re-roof the barn. Or they might take some time to sharpen the tools for when it got to harvest. But you never sat idly by doing nothing. So we have to understand that God has invited us to rest. And whenever we read of the land, or specifically the promised land, God's hopefulness, God's invitation is that he, we would come into his rest. But let me suggest to you that this does not mean inactivity. This does not mean I kick back and let God somehow do the heavy lifting. When God calls us into his rest, it calls us to levels of trust that maybe we hadn't experienced before. Levels of faith. That like a spiritual muscle we need to exercise. In fact, one pastor told me once, he goes, do you know that I have all of the same muscles as Mr. Universe? And he was a very skinny, scrawny of a pastor. The difference is, is one guy chose to really develop those muscles and he hadn't. I think that's a great picture of our life. And there are seasons that God calls us to greater levels of faith, greater levels of trust, greater levels of obedience to find our rest in him. Uh, in Exodus, God leads the people out of slavery and into the promised land. Now, he designates this land, uh, but as I've said, it's not just simply, okay, you're just going to get there, and it's kind of like retirement now, and, and it's just an easy road, because if any of you have entered into retirement, all of a sudden, your testimony is, I've never felt this busy before. I didn't realize how busy retirement can feel, uh, but once uh, grandkids show up, you have a full-time job, <laughs> or, or, you know, um, there's lots to, to do be done. And so here's what I think God calls the people to rest. He has something else in mind. Now, let me paint kind of a, a broader stroke here. God's going to make a new monotheistic nation out of the people of Israel. Every other nation on earth was polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. And so when God wants to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt... He's wanting to set aside for himself a kind of people that would eventually become his church to be the light unto the world. And so he wants, and these people were supposed to be the peace and the hope and the light to all the other nations. And the goal was that they'd enter into the land, but instead they wandered for 40 years. Now, eventually he swore that you will never enter the land and you'll never enter my rest so the question is why 
Why did they disqualify themselves for God's promise? Because I don't want to be in that category. <laughs> uh, I don't ever want to feel like I got disqualified from what God would consider, not just the promised land, maybe a different, a better way of thinking about the promised land is God's preferred future for us. God's preferred future for me. Because the promised land, while it was flowing with milk and honey, and they, brought, they sent spies in, and they wanted to check it all out, and they brought back this really great fruit, and, and they were, these guys were just loaded for bear of how fruitful this land would be, and, and, and soil samples about growing crops. But there were giants in the land, and they grew intimidated, and they became divided among them, except for Caleb uh, and Joshua who said, no, God's on our side. We can take the giants. But he's like, wait a second. This is the promised land. All the people are thinking, shouldn't this be like a winning lottery ticket and just got handed to us? And he's like, enter into my rest, which doesn't mean winning the lottery or inactivity. It actually means greater levels of trust, larger levels of faith, and a willingness to obey because I have given you this. So, in Psalm 95, you heard me read the beginning parts of this earlier. Let me just pick up from, uh, from where we left off in, in uh, Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11. If only you would hear or listen to his voice today. The Lord says, do not harden your hearts as Israel did in Meribah, which we'll get to. As they did in Massa, equally, we'll get to it, in the wilderness. Are you in a wilderness? Do you find yourselves in these chapters of your life that you have not resolved? Say, why God allow that to happen? What is God trying to do? Wilderness seems native for us too. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. So Mirabah was the place where they were, it literally translates in the Hebrew, quarreling, because they were testing God. And they were complaining about, oh my gosh, all of a sudden slavery looks so much better than this vulnerability. We don't even have food. We don't even have water. How could you lead us out there? And then they started to talk amongst themselves. This is Numbers chapter 14. Let's vote for a new leader. Let's go ahead and impeach uh, our, our leader Moses and Aaron so that someone would lead us back to Egypt and ask for forgiveness. Really? 400 years of slavery is looking better than God's faithful deliverance and now with a mild uncertainty about where food is coming from. This is what you're quarreling about? And then Massa is the place where it says testing. Uh, and, and they... they it had this moment where he says, well, where's the water going to, we don't even have any. He says, take the staff, Moses, and hit it. And Moses is a little thin-skinned at this point. He's been worn out by the troops. I think the weight of leadership uh, has worn him down. And he's not 
having the most winsome moments and so he bangs on the rock two times and it kind of discourages God but there is water that breaks forth but God calls out these two symbols where there was quarreling and testing and he says it's because of your constant doubt because of your constant complaining because of your lack of faith in spite of my faithfulness, you will never enter my rest. We have this weird notion that God's blessing somehow represents easy street. That God's blessing, that when God's favor is shown on us, then somehow things will go my way. And what God is saying, I want to lead you to a more prosperous future. I want to lead you to the promised land. But oh, by the way, it's going to be difficult on the way there. And when you get there, you're still going to have to conquer the land. There's giants in them. But I'm with you. I've got your back. Have I not been faithful to this point? And so he finally says to this generation that's come out of Egypt, because of your quarreling, because of your doubt, because of your lack of faith, you will never enter my rest. The land, except for two. Of the roughly two million people that came out of Egypt, two were allowed to enter in. Joshua and um, Joshua and... Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was like, okay, Caleb, Caleb. I was like, it just escaped me. I was going to say Aaron. Caleb and Joshua, they were the ones that said, yeah, there's giants, but we can take them. God's on our side. He's already delivered them into our hands. Oh, but there's giants. He's like, nah. So they were ready to turn back. And God said, enough. If you're not going to trust me after 40 years of deliverance, you just disqualified yourself yourself. I didn't disqualify you. You did. I would say this. God is never threatened by our doubts. It's really important because when we have doubts, God understands that there's room for dialogue. God understands that there's room for confession. God wants a kind of hunger and a tenacity. What I get concerned about is when I meet skeptical people, people who can't put their faith or their trust in God, but aren't doing really anything intentional to get their questions answered. Because there's no solution. So God's not threatened by our doubts, but there needs to be some intentionality to pursue it. So who are you talking to? What are you reading? How are you praying? These are the things that we need to do to keep understanding what it is God has called us into. And so the rest of them died because they were stuck in a cycle of doubt, not able to trust, complaining, even though they had seen God's work. And I just think that's a warning somehow to all of us. I was talking to Larry Covert this week. We met for coffee and he was describing this thing 
he read and it, and it struck me as really poignant for my own life. And he said there was this kind of report that he was reading on the difference between danger and fear. And I have never made the distinction between the two because both of them cause me to kind of pause. <laughs> both of them can paralyze us. But the difference between danger and fear is the idea that we can actually trust God to see us through. Now, if we live our lives haphazardly, i.e. dangerously, we're taking our lives into our own hands. But if we stare at an uncertain future, but we walk in obedience, who can defeat us if God is on our side and God called us? Friends, I had to put myself on the operating table to, in middle life with my son going off to college next year and say, I'm going to start something from scratch. And if God's going to do something transformational, it's got to start with me. And I'm totally afraid, but I believe God has called. Maybe a, another illustration. I remember when Bjorn, no permission asked here, but I'm going with it, was five years old and I was a family pastor at a church in California and we went to a junior high adventure camp uh, and there was a junior high pastor and another intern but um, I don't know we probably had like 50 junior hires with us and we were all sleeping in tents so as a five-year-old it's the equivalent of a 16-year-old getting their license when a five-year-old can crawl into a tent they are in their happiest place on earth right tent camping with dad and quote unquote literally verbatim all my friends dad and these are all these junior high boys so we are introduced to a whole new language and I was like no that's how junior high boys talk but that's not how you talk and and I remember giving him a whistle because you know I, it's a little hard to keep track of him. I was like you blow this whistle if if you can't find me uh, you know um we had a great week and it was it was rafting and um you know it, uh, there was this one part where they were taking us rappelling and all the kids were getting doing this rappel and it was probably about 25 feet of a rock ledge and they had all of these harnesses and all these things that in all honesty could probably lift a small car uh, there was so much security in the in the lines and in the equipment and my son and I'm not faulting him has always had a bit of a cautious streak. But the idea of getting dressed up is really fun. So if you get to dress up with all the harnesses and put all of the equipment on, it feels a little like Halloween because it's like a costume. And to put on like the, 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 the harness and to get all strapped in, except when he got to the edge, he just kept getting lower and lower till he was laying on it and then tears started coming and and I'm at this point where I know that I could introduce him to more fun if I force him to go a little further or I could totally traumatize him and give him a fear of heights and a never able to trust my dad again because he never recovered and so it was at that point I thought you know I'm gonna go ahead and just yield and say it's okay we can try it another time so points for me I didn't force him to go over the ledge even though he was probably more safe now my point is he couldn't trust the rope in his five-year-old mind he couldn't trust the experience 
of the instructors. And his five-year-old, he, he couldn't trust that all the little clamps and all the little hooks and all the little holds was actually more safe than just sitting on top of the rock. I think we find ourselves in a place trying to walk in obedience with God and trying to discern what feels dangerous because that feels paralyzing and what is just fearful. God is calling us to a place of rest. God is calling each of us to a preferred future. And for sometimes, and I'm going through this, it's, it's the older my kids get, the more I'm having to let go. And it feels very uncertain when I'm sending one kid off to college next fall and another kid off to drive around on her own. Uh, I'm going through my own growing pains. I'm dealing with my own fears. But each of us, it's I'm moving to a new city. I have a cousin-in-law and an uncertain future. And I don't know how God's going to provide, except that he provides. And I could just go through story after story where we're sitting here going, God, but I'm afraid. And all I want to do is walk in the light. And those feel like two different things. So I'll stay in the light, which feels a little safe and predictable. And God is calling us to this place of rest. But we disqualify ourselves when we do nothing with our doubt and we sit here and quarrel and test God and complain. And he says, but I'm with you. Haven't you seen my faithfulness? This week, I want to challenge you. It is Thanksgiving. As you go through the sort of normal thankfulness of the week, whether it be the, the abundant provision and, and, and the ample uh, care and the faithfulness of God. Consider the faithfulness of God. Consider how God, and then consider what is it that God might be leading you into. We have a way we like to think about this. I like to think this is how we renew our faith. Coming to faith isn't simply one time asking Jesus to come into my heart and then somehow I'm quote unquote saved. What we're really doing is we're inviting a kind of courtship, a kind of relationship that says every day I might need to renew my vows to follow Christ for better, for worse, in richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. We need to take next steps with Christ. And one of the ways we do this is we look for ways to renew our own hearts. We call them Kairos moments. Kairos moments, for some of you who don't know, are those moments that we stumble into or we come upon and we sense that God is doing something in them. Have you ever had those moments where you just have a check in your spirit like, I think this is maybe some divine interruption or a divine appointment? See, the word kairos is the word time, but not chronology, it's kairos. It means opportunity. We have daily opportunities for the kingdom of heaven to experience or to express itself. Well, the way we do that is when we're willing to repent and believe. In first, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, the time, Kairos, has come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. It's here and now. We don't have to wait for heaven till we die. How do we experience that? Repent 
and believe the good news. And the, 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 the word, the nuanced word of repentance is really important for how we resensitize our hearts because it doesn't say go through all of the inventory of our life where you've always come up short and just think on those things. What he's saying is the word repentance actually means a turning. Sometimes it means a turning from. And sometimes it means a turning towards. God wants to invite us into a preferred future by allowing us to bring heaven to earth, to make a CD out of old videos so that an elderly woman who has dementia can cherish her life again and come to her senses only if for a moment. That is heaven on earth. We have these moments that we feel like we don't have time to stop, but I feel like I'm supposed to help. I, I don't know if I have the extra resources to do this. I just feel like I'm called to give. God is inviting us to a preferred future that requires faith and trust and obedience. And the only way we grow in that is when we're willing to resensitize our hearts and turn. Yeah, I need to turn from that behavior. I need to turn from that attitude. I need to turn from that um, action and ask for forgiveness. But in other cases, we need to turn towards the need, turn toward the opportunity, because you are God's preferred solution. I would simply close by saying this. Once we find this kind of rest, God reveals through us. It's not through a nation. It's not, it's, but it's through a scattered people. See, there's no one Christian nation on earth. Can I say that again? There is not a Christian nation on earth. There is a people that's been scattered worldwide that he was looking to sort of commission, to call out, to be the salt, to be the light to all the people in the world. And now God reveals through couples, through individuals, through marriages and through families, through tribes and through churches. God reveals himself through us. And like a cup, our life is a vessel to be filled with living water so that when somebody else is thirsty and they can find what they're thirsty for in you, in us. Oh, I didn't even know that was what I was thirsty for. Are there people you're praying for that need to come into just relationship with Christ? Do you pray for people regularly? I would encourage you to add that to a kind of prayer diet that you're just interceding on behalf of those who cannot or will not pray for themselves. But let's pray together tonight and just open this time up of worship as a response not just as a singing someone else's words, but as a personal response. Are there things that you need to turn from? Are there things that you need to turn towards? Are there things that you can return to? Because that's God's preferred destination for us all. Our Heavenly Father, will you just stir in our hearts as we declare our praise for you, as we cry out to you, we want to declare your worth. We want to sing of your faithfulness. But I pray that in these closing moments, you would have your will and have your way. You would have your rule and have your reign. And you would interrupt us 
with your presence. Interrupt us with the voice of your Holy Spirit penetrating our hearts and what we need to get done tomorrow. Penetrating our minds as we're creating a to-do list. Father, if we find ourselves in a place of doubt, may we seek you, may we confess that doubt and be found by you. I pray for my friends gathered tonight that you would just provide the ministry of your Holy Spirit to our hearts and to our minds. How can we return to you and walk in your promise? In Jesus' name.